Welcome to the Sculpture Podcast. My name is Sheila Vollmer, Programme Manager for Sculpture. In this podcast, I'll be inviting a series of guests, including sculpture tutors, students, artists from the wider community and contributors to the Morley Sculpture Department. Welcome to the second Sculpture Podcast, and today I have Molly O'Kell with me, who is the winner of the inaugural Sculpture um, Fifth Plinth competition for the new entrance of Morley College. And we had a, a small, um, socially distanced um, opening today, uh, which was which was lovely, you know, a, a good probably 30, 40 people out there. And um, it was, uh, you know, we just want to reiterate some some of the thank yous that were made at, about it. First of all, I want to start with Steve Hodgson, our um, sculpture technician, who's been instrumental in all of this. But he planted the seed, didn't he, uh, Molly? I, th- I don't think you were at the private view of, of a, a sculpture um, exhibition we had, but he... Um, actually challenged Nick Rampley, who was our um, ex-vice principal, to say when he heard about the new entrance being built that, hey, we should have a, um, a fourth plinth or a fifth plinth. Um, let's do it. And Nick, you know, to his credit, took it up. And, and that's how the whole idea uh, began, which was brilliant. And, um, of course, Sarah Robertson-Jonas, my head of school, and Sim Panacea, who was our um, gallery manager, were hugely instrumental in supporting and enabling the, the logistics of the competition. And it went out uh, to all of the Morley community. It wasn't just the sculpture department, um, which is great. And that's something to think about for people uh, in, in future competitions. And then we had uh, selectors Nick Rampley, um, Steve Burr, who was the architect for the space, and Claire Burnett, who um, I invited, who's the president for the Royal Society of Sculptors. And uh, they were, you know, brilliant in terms of their criteria and, and of course, chose you <laughs> as their winner. So that's great. Um, and then I, I want you to carry on with this, but uh, I just want to, you know, huge thanks to the sculpture staff, uh, tutor Andrew uh, Revel, who was your tutor, and Georgina, and, of course, Steve. So I'll let you carry on about that and and say a few more words about how they supported you. Yeah, I think it's really important because um, Andrew was instrumental in getting me to change my working methods. Um, So I originally started on the sculpture course when Giles Corby was the tutor. And I don't know whether you're going to remember this, Sheila, but the reason I came on the sculpture course is because I came to a party with you and Giles and you were wearing a black wig. A black wig? Yeah, you had a black wig on um, and it was a Morley party and Giles said to me, oh, come on my course, come and do some metal work because me and him were contemporaries at the Royal College of Art. Uh, I was doing animation and he was doing sculpture. And what I decided, I was working for Channel 4, I was working in the commercial industry and I thought I need to go back and... uh, continue my practice which at the time consisted of quite a lot of printmaking and filmmaking actually and I went to this party and Giles said oh you should do a course here and I said oh I might do fine art and he said no come come and do it with me he's very persuasive very (laughs) persuasive and I walked into Pelham Hall Mm. um, and I thought oh my god 
this this is for me. Yeah. I didn't quite know why. I it was something about the physicality of the space at yes. Pelham Hall. Yes. It's terribly intimate. It feels very friendly. Yes. Um Giles seemed to get on very well with the students. They all seemed to have been there a very long time, but they were extremely welcoming. Yeah. Um Giles then uh moved on to set up his own um, sculpture workshop and Andrew Ravel came in. Now, unfortunately for Andrew, on the first day when he sent me a task, I was very, um, I was like a kind of bad student. I was like a rebel. <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing what you, I'm not doing this task. You're asking me to work in one um, mill steel. I don't do that. I work in three mill. Anyway, I think everybody else politely got on with it and I thought, right, I'm going to have to shut up and do it and I never looked back. And there was something about the way that he made me think about um, form, space um, and it it suited me because it was abstract sculpture. He's very good at stretching and challenging students, I think, with those simple exercises that creep up on you. Yeah, and I think I think actually it's very difficult as you get a bit older and you think you've done quite a lot of things Mm. to actually be put in that position of doing something that you haven't done before and you're going to be slight maybe shown up, Um, and it was a defining moment for me because I was kind of forced to go back and play Mm. and just trust my instincts actually rather than worry about what everybody else thought I was doing um, and it took me on a journey and made a lot of small sculptures in that way using the kind of materials that he's specified and this led on to the work that to I'm the work you've doing. done yeah absolutely brilliant what um, inspired you to um, apply for the competition um, it was interesting. I didn't think I was going to win. I know a lot of people sort of say that when they win things, but I, I was inspired because I'd started teaching mm-hmm. um, and it was the Christmas holidays and I thought I'm just going to use it as an excuse to concentrate on something for myself mm-hmm. because I'd been giving away a lot of ideas at, at work. Yeah. Uh, so I w- I've got a studio down in Ramsgate and I decided to take four days off over Christmas, went into my studio and I thought, I'm just going to use this this competition to give me a deadline, one. Yeah. I think that was very important, the idea that I, th- I think the deadline was sort of in January, so it meant it was just as I went back. Yeah, said so time over the holidays. Yeah, time <clears> over <throat> the holidays. And do introduce the brief. Uh, the brief was uh, Gustav Holt's 100th anniversary of the planet suite of it being performed at Morley I think that's, that's right. right yeah it was yeah. the 100th, 100th centenary of, that's right and I'm not I don't mm. know that much about classical music mm. so in that sense it was different it was quite a challenge mm. so what I did was I played the music went down to my studio gave myself a sort of set of rules that I'd been working with where I had to use what was available I couldn't go and buy something specially yeah to make this yeah. um I I was time limited materials limited I didn't want anything to have fixings particularly. I wanted yeah. it to feel, I think, kind of fragile yeah. and relatively emotive. Yeah. And I just put pieces together and took photographs of elements together until I got the sculpture, that I, the maquette yeah. that I was happy with. Mm-hmm. Put it forward, lo and behold, I win it. Yeah. <laughs> and when you, um, you know, part of the competition obviously was... Uh, either a model or photographs, a kind of visual side, but it was also the written brief as well. So how did you express it and 
bring it together in terms of the Gustav Holtz Planet Suite? Well, I did do quite a lot of research yeah. initially where I was, I'm very conscious that the title, The Planets, mm. is very well known. And it in, and for me, it was way too obvious. Yeah. Um, it was too representational. And I didn't think it really uh, spoke about the actual work or Hulse methods. Mm-hmm. So I looked into how he'd worked and he was pretty progressive. He had kind of he he's he was somebody it seemed that championed new ideas he was mm-hmm. unconventional he didn't particularly from what i've read didn't particularly seek fame and fortune he kind of quite liked the idea that if you weren't famous if you weren't yeah. a success um it meant you could do the kind of work you wanted and and all of these things inspired me because i thought okay i'm going to do something that i want to do mm. not that I think somebody else is going to want. Yes. Um, and I wanted to make something that was that used the materials because he was very interested in the in the characteristics, the essence, the textures, the um, the elements of the planet. And I wanted to represent that with materials rather than music, if that makes sense. I think you've really successfully done that. Just you know. Uh... You've used um, coloured perspex, you've used cast cement. Uh, at one point I thought it was a, a washing J-cloth pad or something. <laughs> I'm sure it is a piece of material. There's like a real diversity of materials. Maybe go tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, I did, mm. write, I did write down um, a lot of notes about the different planets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, uh, initially I thought to myself, do I choose a material that represents that planet? In in a sense, that also that's too sort of con- conventional, but it was a starting point. So I thought about how the different planets with colours, the kind of the textures, how I could, and also how things change because mm. planets do not stay <clears throat> the same, do they? They they kind of change all of the time, and light and dark and kind of movement is already always there. So I just decided to put a set of materials together that would give you that feeling of kind of constant constant change and every time you I'm hoping that every time you look at the sculpture people did say to me today they can't quite tell whether it's going up or down and they can't quite tell whether elements are see-through or solid heavy or fragile and that's what I'm after I'm after what I think Hulse was trying to um, represent with his music the unknowable Yes. none of us have been to these planets, <clears throat> no, right? No, no, no. <laughs> We're guessing. Yes. But I, it has that feeling of change and, and, and it's not sort of static. And um, I know when we were setting it up on Friday with Steve, you know, we were all just stunned at how well it worked with the black plinth and how it sits on the plinth. So you did take that into consideration, I know, in, in terms of the size, but... Uh, how did it that all feel on Friday when we were setting it up? Um, well, I was scared as anything, yes. as you well know. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. So you and Steve actually put it on the plinth and I just had to stand there because I was so frightened. And I hold had, your breath. And hold <laughs> my breath. Yeah. Not that I <clears> thought it wasn't robust enough. I was just yes. like, okay, this is the final movement. Yes. And this sculpture, um, I want it to feel like it's moving if light hits it in different ways, but it's not actually meant to move. So I was really very, very pleased because I think the intention often as an artist is to make sure that what it is you're trying to say or do 
comes across mm. and only you know so we all know the feeling of when you've made something and everyone likes it but you're like but ah, that's not quite what I had in mind or yeah. that's not quite working this sculpture is exactly what I imagined as you as you know because yes. the, the maquette uh, it looks very much like the maquette so and the satisfaction of it being on that black plinth yes. which to me feels like night yeah absolutely. it represents the dark <laughs> yeah um and it offsets it beautifully yeah I think you had a really difficult job of being the first one uh, and actually trying to make a piece and respond to a space that wasn't yet built. So, you know, you were just looking at the plans and the idea of what it would be. And, you know, I think it'll be much easier for subsequent um, competition um, people to to look at the space and be able to respond to the space. But what's wonderful on, on Friday when we were putting it up um, are all the different levels that you can view it from. And, uh, you know, we had an idea about that, but, it you know, you go into the building and up, say, up into the tower or the different floor levels and you're going to see it from different heights. You get a different viewpoint from the street below, from the steps. I mean, I, I think that's just it, it's and your piece is made in such a way that it is a constant change of viewpoints. I mean, this is something I, I think I, we spoke about in the first podcast with uh, in bronze casting about traditionally a, a good sculpture my tutors would used to say you should be able to roll down the hill because you you want it to not have a front back and side it actually works from all viewpoints so I think you know you really responded to that well without even knowing the space yeah that's true I mean I did have I did have images I had kind of uh, architectural sketches mm. but the one change I made um, from the maquette to the final piece uh, was the red section, which is perforated steel yeah. that's been powder coated. And the reason I changed that is because I went up the stairs in Morley and looked down on the space, which at that time was just a, a, a rubble and yes, mud, yeah. and thought, mm. oh, it would be so much more interesting if the red section had holes that were see-through and actually created some kind of shadow. Yes. So, so the responding to the space is incredibly important. Yeah. I mean, sculpture is... a, a it's a 3D object mm. in a space. Yes. And actually to ignore the space is at your kind of peril. Yeah. Um, if this, uh, you're, you're probably right. It was it was difficult to, to completely visualise mm. it, except for the fact that, um, so for example, I didn't know the distance. I couldn't really imagine the distance between the plinth and then where the Morley wall starts at the back. I didn't know whether it was going to be a lot closer. Yes. But actually, I think it works really well, the plinth, because it's a kind of public sculpture yes. in the sense that the public can see it, but it's in a private space which has actually been designed around it. Or which way round has it been designed? Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, that's great. Um, I really wanted to um, find out a bit more, too, about your background, what brought you to Morley. Well, I originally, uh, I went to Campbell College okay. um, in the 80s and then um, I had a few years out mm -hmm. um, and I did all sorts of things. And what did you study at Campbell? So at Campbell, I studied um, graphics and illustration. Okay. Uh, did quite a lot of printmaking. Um, it was just at that time where illustration and graphics was a, a kind of a mixed 
discipline. Mm. So graphics had stopped being just typography. Yeah. So it was very inventive and creative time. And it was quite fine art mm. driven. Campbell, which is great. Which yeah. is great. Yeah. yeah. So I've kind of come from a, um, a place where my illustrations were often 3D mm. and I would take photographs of them. So I was never a true illustrator, even though I did yeah. um, illustration. I then... So when you say 3D, you were making models. I was making models. Walk, working with similar materials. You've made your model yeah, here. actually. Very yes. interesting. Yeah, so yeah. I was using, but it was small, on a much yeah, smaller yeah, scale. Yeah. Okay. But I was using all sorts of materials mm. to make my models. Um, and then I had a bit of time out and I was I had a company where we used to do the interiors for clubs. So that's actually working with space as well. Yes, yeah. Creating a space. I mean, although most of the time it was just really, really good fun. It wasn't, you know, there wasn't kind of pressure. No. Um, but what kind of interventions were you making? Or was it just designing It was just designing club, yeah, yes, yeah, for yeah. club nights. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. hanging things from all sorts of different mm. areas. So I did learn a little bit about how not to have things drop on people's heads. Yes. That way. <laughs> um, health and safety. Yeah, it was a little bit of health and safety. Yeah. Mm, not not so much then, but yeah, there was an element of creating space and working with light yeah. um, and dark and actually making creating a mood, yeah. which is quite important, definitely, isn't it? Definitely, um, And then I went to the Royal College and did animation. Okay. So that sounds relatively conventional, except for the fact that when I got there, I realised I wasn't at all a conventional animator. I wasn't going to be drawing the mm. cells. So I just used maquettes, uh, mannequins, models, and just right. moved them all around. Wonderful, yeah. So I've got... Stop motion. Yeah, stop yes. motion. Yeah. And I sh used to shoot on 16 mil. So so in a sense, there is a line here mm. all, all about things within an environment, whatever that environment is, yeah. whether it's filmed or whether it's photographed. I then uh, set up a company um, afterwards. I won an award at the Royal College of Art with two other friends. And we went into filming, so I was doing a lot of live action. And again, it's moving people around, isn't well, it? Well, yeah, yeah, it's space <laughs> if they, elements. If, if they're not too famous, you can move them around yeah. a little bit. But so I was doing, by the time I came to Morley, I was very deeply involved in the commercial filming world. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I, was, I think I was hankering after going back. There's a point where you want to go and revisit something that you've been very passionate about and sculptures seemed the grown-up way to approach it. So you came to Giles's metal class and having not actually, although you'd worked with materials and model making, you were learning new skills of metalwork and welding and securing things probably a bit more, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd never securely. welded in yeah, my life. Yeah. I mean, um, but what I realised very quickly is that the metal class is not, um, you don't have to be particularly strong. You don't, you just have to um, be taught well. Mm. And anyone can weld Absolutely. the biggest, strongest piece mm. of material together. Yeah. And I've got a, a real passion for steel, actually. Yeah. Although my sculpture has a lot of mixture, uh, a mixture of material, steel was the thing that kind of got mm. me, drew me in. Well, it def in a strange way, it defies gravity. In, in terms of its joining together, unlike other materials like clay that you're always having to fight against gravity. So you have a bit more freedom of moving into the space, mm. I suppose. That's that's a, a great thing. Um, and how has your work developed into abstraction? Because that's a, a really interesting thing to look at if, if you think you started 
obviously your basis was the materials, so that mm. helps. But in terms of you know, the configuration of your work. Yeah, so that's that's very interesting. Once I'd started with um, Giles, the first yeah. thing I made was um, a pair of rose-tinted spectacles. So it's quite representational. I those. Yes, yes. Yeah. They were exhibited in the Morley Gallery. They were indeed. Yeah. Specsavers, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but they, it was very representational. In, yeah. a, in a way, it was very illustrative, yeah. um, it, but in a 3D, slightly 3D form. Mm -hmm. But what changed that? One was Andrew, yeah. but the other thing was the fact that I then went into printmaking. Okay, So yes. I went and re I kind of revisited... Here a at Morley. Yes, here yeah. at Morley with Frank, yeah. Frank Connolly. And I started drawing again. Mm-hmm through printmaking so I initially started off again relatively rep representational but I very quickly uh, developed a technique where I was able to I suppose indulge in the things that really get me going yes. like shape mm. cubes boxes arches yeah really just shape tone texture mm. um form actually so it was the printmaking that allowed me the space because it's quite slow doing metalwork in a sense you know yes. especially if you're learning yes yeah you can't just i mean you probably can but you know no when no I, <laughs> when, I, but when i first started you know it took me quite a long time to work things out um but there is a relationship, it seems, between printmaking Definitely. and sculpture. And There's I found that relationship extremely helpful. It, get, it gave me lots and lots of new ideas about abstract. I made lots of abstract images in printmaking. Yeah. And then I applied them back to sculpture. So it's a conversation between my 2D and 3D work. It would be wonderful to, to see those ideas put together. Yes, I <laughs> have to work on that. Well, I'm yes, I'm <clears throat> thinking of, uh, well, I'm, I'm planning to put a book together yeah. about the process. Which you were going to call... In the Making In of. the Making of, which is brilliant. That, that would be great. Well, as we as um, Matthew Cunningham uh, suggested, we're going to have another event so we can hopefully uh, have the music of the planets, Gustav Holt's planets, um, plain you know where we look at the work which yeah. also I think would really help um, you know when we talk about abstraction it's something sometimes you can't explain it's something you have to immerse yourself in and uh, I have people in my classes say well what is abstraction how do I get into it and you wouldn't ask that in music or in contemporary no, music you, you know and you would accept you understand it at a certain level and that you then would research it and find out more and listen to more of the music to understand it. And I'm afraid sometimes in visual art people want that instant instant explanation and I think you have to give it time, um, both yeah. as a viewer and as an artist uh, in finding your way. Yeah. I mean, I do, I do understand the uh, kind of frustration there, though, this idea of how am I... I think sometimes people wonder if they're allowed to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't know how to, but they don't know whether they're allowed. And actually, everyone is allowed. Absolutely. This is the thing. Um, interestingly, you do have to do some form of research. You yes. have to immerse yourself. Yeah. Now, what that immersion, how, what form that immersion takes is mm. entirely up to you. But, you know, I teach at uh, the University for the Creative Arts and I sometimes will say to my students, how many exhibitions have you been to? Yeah. Uh, so it's immersing yourself so that the language of abstract 
work becomes familiar to you. Absolutely, or so any work. You know, any work, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, And but, helping you to develop your own language as well. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, all, it's the verbal language, but it's also the visual language mm, of understanding definitely. why you like something, why you think it works. But you do have to slightly deconstruct that and then mm. it becomes part of you. Um, I mean, also as well, it's a physical relationship is what I like about sculpture. Definitely. And I'm sure people say that about ceramics as well. Your actual relationship with the materials in front of you. Your body to the piece. Um, this could be a good point too to talk about um, what materials you chose to work with and the processes of joining because um, you, you, I think, spoke earlier a bit about the relationship to construction and using cement, um, steel perspects yeah so my um before i'd actually entered this competition i had a a kind of train of my my practice was concentrating on construction sites so i'm really interested in the idea of um unintentional assemblages on construction sites so where they've placed things Mm. for convenience yeah but you've got big long plastic tubes you've got uh, pallets of steel and they're just placed in a construction site to me feels like a kind of abstract installation so I was working that had been my practice up until that point so I applied that thinking as well to this sculpture so I was like okay I'm going to use progressive materials because I think Hulse would have gone for something that was quite new yes I don't think he would have been old-fashioned I didn't want to make a sculpture that was 100 years no, old looked no. 100 years old so I uh, had been investigating um, aluminium, steel, mild steel, marine ply and also the idea that when you do make a sculpture in this way and it is external, you have to think about it in a very different way. You want it to look the way you want it to look and yet it's got to last. Yes. So I was looking at, there's different woods I've got in there um, but I've stained them Mm -hmm particularly so that they will last the, yeah, uh, the yeah. three years that it's going to be <laughs> yeah. on the plinth. And and perspex is an amazing material mm. because uh, nowadays the kind of perspex you can get will last for sort of 10 years. Whether they realised I was going to use it for this purpose, no. I, when they cut me the rumbus that I asked yes. for. Um, but they're used externally. And, ex- of course know, they are. And I think that's what I'm and, so yeah. interested in because... If something happens to be outside, it's always up against some form of structure, Mm. some form of building. And the materials that are now used in buildings can be extremely inspiring, can't they? There's a bit of glass. I didn't actually use glass, but I tried to represent that idea of Mm. um, being able to look through something. But I wanted frosted, so I used the perspex. The uh, stainless steel box... (laughs) That was actually from a previous project, and I kind of borrowed that in this project, but I had to scale it up. And now that was, you know, all these things are a challenge because you've got to go in front. They're not on the shelf. No. Um, But all of the materials, I think the purpose was that they had a relationship to each other. I didn't deliberately think, okay, I'm going to shove as many materials in as I want. They had to speak to one another Mm. but I wanted it to be modern and if you want something to be modern you might have to use either modern methods or modern materials yeah that's just the way it goes absolutely but it 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 does feel like a composition if we want to relate it to music of we could relate to Gustav Holtz the different parts and it just doesn't sit 
plonked on the plinth, it's relating to the plinth and overhanging it and becomes all as one piece. Yeah. Um, yeah. What advice would you give uh, to the next uh, um, students or, or competitors who would like to try this competition? Well, according to Vaughan Williams, Gustav Holst used to say, always ask for advice but never take it. Okay. <laughs> right. So, just from your experience. <laughs> so, bearing that in yeah, mind, yeah. here's my advice, everyone. Okay. But don't feel like you have yeah. to take it. Um, well, from the way that I approached it was that I decided that I wasn't out to please yeah. anyone. I was definitely out to fulfill the brief yeah because i also have come from a commercial environment where you read the brief yeah you take a lot of notice of the brief and that's one piece of advice it's like really immerse yourself in what in what the the competition is asking yes you to do yeah. don't skim over it actually no. look look at what the plinth size is look at what they're asking for yeah look at what they want because actually in a sense the person who's setting the competition may also be the person that's judging the competition. Yes. So they haven't they haven't put this the um, requirements into that competition and then going to suddenly disregard them. So my first piece of advice is read the brief. Yes. Um, properly, like a like a kind of grown up. Yeah. Um, put it away. Have a think about it. Go back. Read it again. But at the same time, if you try and anticipate what you think might be the winning solution mm. um you leave yourself in a place where you're making something that hasn't come directly from you, from and you. It, yeah, yeah and it's a passion it's something that you, you're gonna have an enduring passion because no. there are moments where you're i mean lots of moments for me nobody else could make this sculpture i made mm. it designed it all I could, there was nobody else i could ask no so you've got to have decided that it is terribly important for you to make this thing therefore it's got to be something that you in a way are in love with mm. you're in love with this thing and yeah you're like i can't wait to make it bigger because it's going to be pain a little bit painful well, of course yeah. the logistics always are yeah yeah so my advice is read the brief really well but make the piece that represents you don't try and double guess what you think might win yeah I mean, that's a very tricky thing to do, but I think it's terribly important. It's like applying for a job. Of Be course. honest. Exactly. <laughs> honest to yourself. Exactly. Because yeah. you're going to have to go in day after day. Absolutely. And, it, and putting on a front is a difficult thing. So making a piece that you think is going to please somebody else. No. It, you know, you, you're the one that goes home at night mm. and thinks, oh, I'm really pleased with that yeah. or not. Um, and then you've given it your best shot. Exactly. And if it gets chosen, exactly. Um Last one, and obviously I'll leave you time to if you want something else you want to talk about. But um, uh, this is off the uh, um, top of my head here. But what would you think of as a, an, a theme for the next competition? Oh, I have no <laughs> idea. I mean, naturally, I would choose something that's going to push boundaries. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, I wouldn't want to be too specific, mm. but I would definitely want uh, to, if I was a judge, yeah. I would like to be feel that my boundaries were being pushed. Yes. If I can say that, mm. does that answer your That's question? That's very good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
Is there anything else you'd like to talk about with regards? Um, I think I think what's re- what there's just one thing that I think is very important for everybody um, at Morley, uh, and especially in these times where Morley's you know been closed and things are a little bit difficult. Mm. It has been um, fundamental in allowing me to continue my artistic practice, even though I've had a full-time job. Yes. Um, it is a place where you can come and be very welcome. And, and we all know that people stay on these courses for a very long time. Yes. And the, reasons they, the reason they do that is because the tutors are so well-informed um, they've got so much to offer, and actually, the you become very good friends. It's a it's an incredible support network. Yes. is what I would say. And today proved that. Yes, absolutely. For me, when all of my sculpt- yeah. <laughs> fellow sculpture <laughs> students had lived through this with me on some level, and I think that is the kind of essence of Morley. That yeah. I think, in a way, um, it's what people love about it, and mm. it's what I've. Uh, benefited from and I'm just I'm so glad it still exists and and the fact that it is going to carry on and I think the sculpture my hope is that the sculpture gives it this idea that it's got another hundred years yes but in this very progressive changing world yeah that is absolutely brilliant thank you so much Molly thank you so much thank you